Well, due to some illnesses in that, no driving gloves is only on a couple day delay now. So we can cover some hard hitting current topics. We'll see how this goes. We might keep it up more after this. Talk about cars. Ferrari, GTO, Bentley, CRX, and even down to your great granddad's beerless. Welcome to No Driving Gloves, the car talk authority, where experience, knowledge, and controversy share the same seat. Enjoy the ride. Now your hosts. John and Derek. Are you on that side of the mic, Derek? I am, John. And uh, for our listeners, the sickness and delays are all my fault. That's that's where it falls. It's not on John this go around. It's on me. I've been dead to the world for about a week and a half, but I am back and... My voice is kind of the same. It'll get there. Well, you see, I tried getting sick once, and I didn't like it. And I don't do things I don't like, so I don't get sick. You're a wise man, John, and that's the only time I'm going to say that. Hey, I noticed we had a listener in this past week or so that mentioned on Facebook that John was right about the manuals. You know, it's, it's as we say, John... No driving gloves is the gloves-off approach. We can all agree to disagree. Well, that's kind of what I said to him, too, is because his wife said he was a little too harsh by saying that. I said, no, that's the whole thing. It's the no driving gloves, the gloves-off approach to the collector car hobby. And news for everyone. That's why we like his wife better than him, so. I need to stop by and see him. I get within a few miles of his home occasionally on my local routes. But there's this thing going around in the news over the past week. And since it's the automotive hobby and the collector car world, I'm sorry, but we're going to focus a little bit on replacing your EV with gasoline cars. I guess that's a way to say it to keep some people listening. Yeah. I like that because now we can, we can flip the narrative, right? So we're going to talk about EVs, but we're going to talk about replacing them with internal combustion. Hey, I'm a genius. That's why we get get listeners. You know, I got to say, John. Again, this this show is going to be out of the norm. You're on you're you're on a roll today. You're you're actually right today. See, twice in one episode, three times in one week, according to the internet, and the internet's yeah. always right. That's scary. So the company famous for the Mustang GT 350H in the mid-60s, 66, 67, and the Mustang GT 350H from just a few years ago, that one never made sense to me and never really seemed to catch on, Hertz announced in the last few days, and technically they announced this in October, but nobody listened in October, that they're going to, what is the number here? Take a, a $245 million loss 
due to depreciation on their EVs or an average of about $12,250 per vehicle, according to their SEC filing. And these are primarily Teslas. Te primarily Tesla Model 3s. I believe there's some Model Ys also involved in this. First question, barring all the other outside news, if we're talking say a $50,000 car taking a $10,000 depreciation over some of these cars are as old as 2019 over, we'll say two or three model years. Do you find that extravagant? I mean, if you went out and bought a $50,000 infinity, do you think you'd lose $10,000 of value in three years or you bought a, if you could, you bought a $65,000 BMW. Do you think you're going to lose $10,000 value in three years? I think that's an extreme depreciation, right? That's that's if you're uh, if you're not maintaining the car properly, you get in a major accident, something like that, that you're going to possibly lose that or have that amount of depreciation. But that's, that's you know, quite extensive on depreciation, in my opinion. I don't find that that extravagant. Here, I pulled up the number. The average car depreciation at the end of three years retains a market value of 58%. Hmm. That's a 42% depreciation in three years. It really helped when I spelled, spelled depreciation correctly. No, yeah, well, it does. And after one year... Many cars will lose 15 to 20% of their resale value. So we'll take a $60,000 Tesla. It's going to lose $9,000. Hit there at the 15% mark. I don't think the numbers are crazy from what Hertz is claiming in the SEC filing. So yeah. I don't see the negative in this article at that point. They're ridding themselves of 20,000 EVs, and the number varies that they have 50 to 60,000 EVs in their catalog. And the majority of them are Teslas. They're going to dispose of you know, these Teslas because of higher operating costs. However, the higher operating costs aren't day-to-day. -day. They are accident damage. These cars are commonly involved in accidents. What's your overall opinion before I get too deep into some of the information here? Because really, I'm trying to hash this out and read beyond the headlines. So what is my take on it? Is that what you're asking, John? Yeah, because you threw out the topic. I didn't get back to you, so you're not as well versed on it. So you're going to take, I, I think you can give the very honest opinion of what the general public seeing and understanding, but with a little bit more knowledge than what the fear-mongering press is going after. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, I think if I was to, to step back and, and look at it, from a general public standpoint, and obviously I'd read a few articles, right? But of course, we we found out in the pre-show that one of those articles I read, there was speculation in the article versus real journalism happening, which seems to be more and more common lately. 
you know, I think a lot of the speculation or a lot of the uh, reactions uh, to this, I don't know that the general public cares that much. I think the more in tune car population, uh, you know, has opinions on it. Uh, and I don't think they're basing a lot of it in, in fact, which is what we're going to talk about. You know, a lot of it is just speculation that, well, see, Hertz can't make EVs work. And so nobody wants to rent them. Nobody wants this. Nobody wants to drive these things around. So EVs aren't the future. And, you know, all that standard kind of speculation and non evidence based use of this information against the EVs. I mean, one thing you have. I think that we're looking at is this is only about a third of their fleet that they have. So number one, they're only cutting it by a third. They're not selling every single EV they have. And as John said, you know, it's, it's costs, but you have to look at what those costs actually are that are making them to decide to sell the vehicles. They are, I think, the overall reaction when everybody hears about this is just, well, EVs aren't the way of the future and even Hertz can't make it work. So scrap them and you know get internal combustion because it's the only way to go. The more we talk about it, the more we read into it or read about it, not read into it, but you know, read about it, get the facts, get the evidence. I think we can look at it a little differently than just EVs aren't working and they're not the future. You talked about the investigative journalism that lacked in one of the articles you read. Tell me what that was again, because I think this is a very valid point that people don't realize about electric cars. Uh, because my research into buying a hybrid or an electric, that's how I immediately knew what you had reported was incorrect. Not that you reported it, that you were re-reporting. Yeah. So one of the articles, and again, I didn't foolishly did not save it. So I can't even say which article it was. And I, I apologize for that, but they were speculating, I think on the commentary on costs, you know, the, the, the costs of having the EV fleet. And one of the, what I now know was speculations was the cost of uh, the battery uh, replacements in these EVs over time. That was the speculation in the article that one of those major costs that they were looking at was the battery replacement. Because I seriously looked at a cat, really want a Cadillac ELR, still do. But 2019 or 2020 was the last year I could mentally bring myself to buy a Cadillac ELR based on. Federal law requires basically some sort of warranty on that battery for eight years. And most manufacturers offer an eight to 10 year or 100,000 mile battery warranty. And then I went further and I looked up Tesla and what their warranty on a battery is. Because this article Derek had read speculated that one of the biggest reasons they were getting rid of this electric fleet is the battery cost 
most of the articles I read, it was due to depreciation, which a lot of that was brought on by Tesla themselves, to be honest. But Tesla's battery warranty is eight years or 120,000 miles, whichever comes first, and they guarantee the battery will retain a minimum of 70% of the battery capacity over the warranty period. If not, Tesla will cover the repair or replacement necessary to correct the defects in the materials or workmanship, et cetera. So they will basically cover the warranty eight years or 120,000 miles. Commercial warranty might be slightly different in Hertz's case, but I can't quite see that really being that different because it is federal law requiring the eight-year lifespan. And we all know it's a rental car company. They're going to rotate out their cars no more than every three or four years. I mean, in the pandemic, they had to keep their cars a little bit longer, but the pandemic's a thing of the past. We can't quit keep blaming everything on the pandemic. So Tesla would cover these cars, say, eight years, 120,000 miles. Say they did it commercial and they halved it four years, 60,000 miles. Rental car companies don't keep their cars that long. So the battery cost had to be thrown out. And the reason I really wanted to emphasize that is if you're looking at an electric car, I wouldn't buy one that's more than five or six years old, mainly because of the battery warranty. I mean, you might be able to go, you'll probably go nine or 10 years without having issues. The big depreciating factor in electric cars for the consumer, forget Hertz, is after that battery warranty's up. That's when these things are going to crash and plummet in value. Basically, I think electric cars are designed for two owners, and that's about it. Personal commentary there. A lot of the articles did mention maintenance costs and that, and the maintenance cost Hertz cited is a gimme. And I bet you you can't guess, Derek, what the biggest cost to maintaining a fleet of Teslas was. Maintenance-wise? Just the biggest cost to maintaining a fleet of Teslas. Repairing, repairing the vehicles after collisions. Uh, by far and away. I did some consulting work with a Tesla authorized body shop at one point in time. And Tesla has a problem. If you have a Tesla Model 3 and you order a door handle for it, Tesla makes ongoing changes. And you may or may not get the door handle that fits the car. And then you might have to get a different door. And then you might have to get a different fender to line up to the door. It's really funny that what was the inventor? You would know this. Uh, interchangeable parts. Um, who came up with that theory? Um, that? Give me a minute. Give me a minute. I'll say George Washington Carver comes to mind, but he's um, peanuts no, or something. No, he like was that, peanuts. He? Yep. Um, soybeans and peanuts. Um, no, it was um, the rifle company. Yeah, it was something to do with rifling. Well, it doesn't matter who it was. Yes, it was rifle, the rifle, yeah, the rifle industry, let's call it, the, the you know. So, this is 1860s, 1850s? Yes. Tesla doesn't quite understand interchangeable parts. They understand similar parts, but they don't understand exact 
parts because, uh, like I said, we'll take the door handle, for instance. It's a part number and you order the part number. Well, did company XYZ make the door handle or did company BYK or did company MNOP, you know, depending on the company that made it, there's little differences in it. And then it's got, you know, there's these little tweaks. And that's why the fit and finish on Tesla's are, is not up to Mercedes and definitely Lexus. I don't think you could take a Tesla and put it on a pendulum or a rotisserie or whatever you want to call it and put a marble on it and roll it around all the seams like Lexus did in their commercial back in the mid-90s. It really adds to the repair costs. Plus, you're dealing with more exotic metals and materials, paint practices, and training a body technician to deal with the elect, you know, the battery components, etc. There's no doubt that an electric car was more expensive to repair. And I can agree with Tesla uh, or Hertz, excuse me, looking at that factor. And they even cited that, you know, the new Chevrolet uh, Equinox EV, and I'm assuming the Blazer EV, and the upcoming Bolt replacement, the Bolt SUV EV, whatever it's going to be, had a better parts availability because I think somebody at General Motors at one point in time looked in the Webster's Dictionary and what interchangeable parts were. Unfortunately, now General Motors has stopped sale of the EV Blazer and <laughs> the Cadillac Lyric and uh, a lot of those. So yeah, it might throw a little ranch into the skunk works, but at least General Motors said, hey, we're going to stop this. Hang on, I got hung up on the interchangeable parts. It was Eli Whitney uh, oh. who had done the cotton gin who had the discussion of interchangeable parts. And of course there were some folks over in France that had the idea as well. But uh, the name we were looking for was Eli Whitney. Yeah. I can't remember. I can't believe we forgot the guy who figured out how to get gin out of cotton. How can you forget that one? (laughs) Yeah, that's what it was. All right. What's your question? Who rented all these Tesla EVs? People. What kind of people? I am going to guess businesses. Companies that were traveling and it was it was a company trip rather than a personal trip. The majority of EVs out of the Hertz fleet were rented by one of two kinds of people. So your answer, people, is correct. People that wanted to experience an electric car before purchasing it. Very minor, not a major rental group. The majority of the fleet of EVs from Hertz were actually part of an Uber program. So they were available to rideshare drivers. So if you were a Uber driver, you could contact Hertz, tell them you were an Uber driver, and Hertz would rent you a EV to use for your rideshare program between $250 and $300 a week, which seems like a lot of money. You know, you can rent a, I want to say a Yaris, do they, if it's still in the rental fleets for $150 a week or whatever. But when I got stuck using a rental car a little bit last year, a Nissan uh, Altima or Camry or whatever, I think ran me about $300 a week. So 
about the same amount of money, but you don't have the fuel expense. You just plug it in and recharge it or drop it back off at Hertz. Let them recharge it for free. So you have no operating costs of the car while you put thousands of miles on it, driving people around. And of course, rideshare people are driving in, commonly driving in unfamiliar situations under a lot of pressure, trying to make time frames and have a higher accident rate than even just the average car renter. So my answer was kind of correct. It was a company involved in the rentals, Uber. My question, they would rent to the Uber drivers or the rideshare drivers. Was there also a kickback from Uber to Hertz to do this? So were they making money off the actual drivers having to pay the rental fee? Was there also kickback from Uber in some kind of deal? That would probably have to be disclosed in an SEC filing, and I didn't see that. I can kind of see that as a deal that Hertz felt would benefit itself because it exists for gasoline cars too. But again, on an EV, you drive a gasoline car, guess what? You're expected to drop it off of the, you take it with a full tank of gas, you're expected to drop it off of the full tank of gas. You rent an EV, you can bring it back empty and they'll plug it in and recharge it at Hertz while you grab another one and go out again. So there are no operating costs for the EV. I think that's the advantage to rideshare drivers using the EV. Hertz creates the program, discounts the rental a little bit to the Uber drivers. It's a win-win for all until Hertz looks at the crash damage on these vehicles. They're eliminating about 20,000 of these EVs from their program, primarily Teslas. There are some of the Chevy Volts and uh, Volvo Polestars involved, which is kind of weird that Hertz is renting Volvo Polestars. I don't remember if I've mentioned this on the show or not yet, but I actually had the opportunity to drive a Polestar. I was quite pleased uh, with the car. Very comfortable. The performance of it was pretty impressive, I have to say. Um, I've, I've seen them on the road here and there, and I like the styling of them. Just a, a side note there, I guess, because you brought up Polestar. And uh, just a, a interesting vehicle. Yeah, I was trying to find this article that dove a little bit deeper into misinformation yeah there is more to hertz dumping twenty thousand evs from fleet than appearances suggest it's a, a motor trend article and they're basically going back to hertz bought a great number of these teslas and it's tesla is the whole thing behind this i want to say in all the articles I read, Hertz kind of makes it clear that Tesla is the motivating factor while other cars are involved. Tesla is where they got hurt the most. And that most of these cars were bought before 2023. That's when, the again, the pandemic uh, shortages basically were finally overcome. People could buy any car they wanted 
you know, go into the lot, things are in stock, you can buy them. It's not just EVs that are sitting there on the lot and you got to buy an EV because your other car was totaled or whatever. The, the consumer has a choice. People aren't buying EVs. Um, I think the increase in sales uh, slowed sharply over 23, rising just 1.3% in the final quarter of 2023. Everybody started to cut the prices of EVs, and Tesla made some drastic, drastic price cuts. I was surprised when I was looking at some of this stuff that manufacturers suggested retail price on a 2022 Tesla Model S with 28,000 miles, 72 grand. That was a hundred and hundred and twenty thousand dollar car. It doesn't say if it was a P60, 80, or 100. Tesla just cut the prices of their EVs ten, fifteen thousand dollars. And when that happens, I'm not going to pay more for a used Tesla or any used car than I am for a new car when you compare literally apples to apples. Hence, a lot of their depreciation came at the hands of Tesla trying to stay competitive in the market using price as opposed to their technology or their charger network. This is just a huge story that is driven by, it seems the press in this one might be going along with the collector car hobbyists on this. Do you agree or disagree? Do you see where I'm going with this, Derek? I, I see right where you're going, John. And it is interesting that they're, the media is branding it overall as EVs. You know, Hertz is getting rid of EVs rather than just there's an issue with Tesla. And, you know, making it more focused on what the actual issue is and making it broad spectrum to electric vehicles, which has not been the norm. However, a lot of the articles we're seeing are coming out of a lot of the automotive media that tends to lean a little more towards internal combustion, at least the articles I've seen, you know, Motor Trend, uh, you know, some of the more automotive centric media. Uh, Yes, I agree in the fact that it's interesting that they're kind of broadcasting a wide net of EVs rather than the actual, what seems to be a little more of the issue of Tesla in the situation. Yeah. See the articles I pulled because I'm a car guy and I read the car news articles all the time. I know what the car people are going to say, but I read articles from CNN, was it Rutgers, uh, Yahoo Finance, Bloomberg, CBS, ABC, NBC, Fox, and they're all saying the same thing is they're dumping these EVs because they're basically rental giant Hertz dumps EVs, including Teslas for gas cars. It's very much against the norm of what the general press has been saying that, oh, EVs are the greatest things in the world and we're moving. It's almost like they're backstepping going They might, I'm hoping they might be using this little bit to backstep on this push to EVs that the car magazines and the car articles, the car oriented news has been saying all the time. 
EVs are great, but there might be other alternatives. We're definitely not ready for them. And while they're bashing on Hertz a little bit for this, I think they're really trying to bash on the EV market and the EV manufacturers and saying, hey, wait a second, maybe gas cars do make some sense at this point in time. I mean, if Hertz is backing off, you know, Hertz's original plan, I believe in 1919 or, or excuse me, 2019 wow. or 2020, was to have 100,000 electric vehicles in their fleet, I think by 2025 or something. Uh, yeah, Hertz announced in 2021 to buy 100,000 Teslas. They obviously only ended up purchasing 40 or 50,000 Teslas. And now they're backstepping from that. They didn't say they're not going to buy more Teslas. They're just reallocating inventory to gas-powered vehicles that more suit the needs of a rental car company. I mean, it's tough when you show up at the rental car desk and you're used to driving a gas-powered automobile and you're a mom of three and you're not a car person and they say, all I've got are electric cars. Mom knows how to put gas in a car. Do you think mom with her three kids in a situation where her car is probably being repaired and is stressed out over that and dealing with insurance companies really wants to learn a new technology with three crying kids in the back trying to figure out how a charger is going to work? And if you're not renting a Tesla and you're getting a Polestar or you're getting a, a General Motors EV or you're getting a Mach-E, if I can't remember Hertz rents those or not, but then you're dealing with Charge America or Electrify America. Half their chargers don't work. You immediately are taking consumers, forcing them into something they are unfamiliar with at a time of stress or a business person that wants to get to his destination, get his work done and get the heck home. And you're t making them learn a whole new driving environment. It doesn't work. I guarantee you that if I walk into a rental car place and I drive, I mean, technically I've looked at it. A lot of EVs with a 300 mile range would work for me to drive from my home to a hotel with a charger. And some of the hotels I stay at do have chargers. And I could get through using an EV. I don't want to because I don't want that as, uh, I can't think of his first name, Farley from Ford says. I don't want the charging anxiety. It's not the range anxiety. I know the range will work. I don't want the charging anxiety of having to deal with broken chargers or finding chargers or going a little bit out of my way to find, you know, use a charger. I think it's a brilliant, I mean, Hertz has taken a little bit of heat and their stock prices have been affected. I think they said somewhere in here, their stock price was down. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember. We don't care about stock prices here, but their stock price was down a little bit and they'll recover. I mean, it's just the news. I mean, I looked at it and go, hey, maybe it's this is not financial advice, but I go, maybe I should buy some Hertz stock this week because it'll bounce back a little bit in a couple of weeks and I'll make a couple of dollars and everybody will be happy. And I think, you know, put some historical perspective on this as well in and and we've talked about this on the show uh, in the past with with the oncoming push of EVs and all of this 
which is, you know, I think this can also show the issues and, and you've brought some of them up, right? The anxieties, learning new technologies, all of these things that are coming with a changeover to EV type vehicles. You know, if we look back at the dawn of the automobile, as as many call it, and everything that was going on at that time with people switching from horse and buggy, horse and carriage over to the horseless carriage or the automobile as we know it now, this is this this is really nothing new that we need to think about. And understanding that new technologies as they roll out, there's anxieties, there's learning curves, there's infrastructure issues. You know, and, and people bring that up. A, a big one people bring up is the infrastructure issue with charging EVs. And yes, exactly. It is, it is an issue. There are charging station issues, as John brought up. You know, there's there's charging stations that aren't working, there's all these issues. And you go back to the earliest days of the automobile. And as I've mentioned on the show many times, we have to remember that from about 1895 till about 1905 in the United States, electric vehicles were actually the most popular vehicle being sold. Again, only the wealthiest of Americans really buying cars at the time, as well as only driving around in the major cities. This was not farmers out in rural America picking up a brand new Baker electric and, and having it shipped by rail out to their farm and driving it around. That, that wasn't the case. The case was in cities because that's where the roads were the best. That's where the wealthiest of Americans were that could afford these cars. And I mean, even electricity at this point in your home was relatively new. And yes, you had you know, mercury arc rectifying electric charging stations that could be put into your garage. Again, you're the wealthiest of wealthy. But the other thing at this period is most of these folks had chauffeurs that had to learn how to drive these vehicles, whether it was one of the new internal combustion, steam powered or electric powered it all fell to someone whose job it was to drive these people around today trying to switch to a new technology. Very few people, as John pointed out, have a driver or a chauffeur that is driving them around. It falls on the owner of that vehicle who is driving it to learn this new technology. And as John points out, do you really want to be forced into that situation at the rental counter where you've never driven an EV, you don't understand how to charge them, you don't understand any of the process, and somebody's saying, well, all I've got is a fleet of EVs for you to rent. You know, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of learning curve, all those things that are causing these issues, and it's going to take time to get us to a point where everyone is comfortable with these vehicles, just like it did in the early 1900s. You know, people didn't just go, oh my God, the automobile, whether it was internal combustion, electric or steam. No, they, they didn't do that. They, they had to learn about it. They had to understand it. They had to see the benefits that would come from having a, 
an automobile, a self-propelled vehicle over a horse and carriage, and slowly over time develop this, we've said it on the show. That's one of the biggest problems with this push to EV, and we're seeing it now with Hertz, but also from Ford and General Motors, who are stepping back on some of their promises to the EV uh, development in their fleets. We can't push it this hard because consumers can't learn it that quick. The infrastructure can't develop that quick. We have to roll into this slowly, easily, and figure it out. We can't just from one day to the next go from internal combustion to electric. It's going to be a process. And I think what we're seeing here are the growing pains of that process. Very, very well said, Derek, because you brought it into the whole electric EV world from just the consumers purchasing the cars to the rental cars, rental car companies having these available to us. And at times, like I said, rental car companies forcing these upon us. And I wonder if a little bit of this isn't the EV manufacturers possibly saying to these rental car companies and even dealership fleet managers, hey, let's reduce a few of these EVs. Because a lot of times now when you go get, you know, you if you're fortunate enough to get a loaner car from your dealer, a lot of times they're sticking you in, in an EV just to, so, to make you have that experience. And again, now your car is in the shop. Now you're stressed about the repairs. What's it going to cost? How long is it going to be there? Um, I mean, I had a transmission issue on my Festiva or Fiesta, whatever the hell I drive, uh, earlier this year. I knew this issue would possibly occur, so I wasn't upset. What upset me is one Ford dealer, the first Ford dealer I walked into said it'd be three months before they could even diagnose it. Second Ford dealer said they'd diagnose it, but it could be a couple of months before I get it back. And the fourth Ford or the third Ford dealer said, it's six months. Be sick. You've got an appointment in six months. And I ended up getting the car repaired at the second Ford dealer, which is the dealer I purchased the car at. And I had it back in like two and a half weeks. Six months later, I actually got contacted by that dealer saying, okay, your appointment's on Tuesday at 7 a.m. You can bring your car in. So they actually held the appointment for six months. Who the heck has six months to wait for a car? Now, if I didn't have the choice or I wasn't an informed consumer, I could have walked in and possibly got a loaner car or something from them. And if they would have handed me an EV, yeah, th that doesn't work for me. Our former host, a co-host on the show, Sean Yoder, took his, he's got a Hyundai uh, Kona N and he took it in for service for something and I don't know what it was. And I only know about this through social media posts and I haven't talked to Sean about it. And they gave him like a EV6 or whatever. They gave him an electric Hyundai to drive. or And he filled it up. He doesn't have a charging station at his home, so he went to a public charger. It cost him like $33, $36 to put a full charge on this car. And it took him like 35 minutes because he wasn't at a super fast charger. There were issues. And his statement is, what, what have I gained? 
it costs more to fill this thing up with electricity than it does to fill my high-performance Kona N with gasoline. And it took three times as long. So part of me thinks that maybe some of these EV companies and these manufacturers are saying, hey, let's back off on forcing people into these and experimenting with them because they're not seeing the whole picture. Sean's example, my example with Sean is his three days with an EV. Yeah, he liked the performance. He liked some of the things about the EV. But when it comes down to the economic savings, which is what EVs are being sold on, you know, the green world and Sean knows the background about, you know, a coal train is EV fuel. It cost him more to operate that EV than it did to operate his gas vehicle. So why does he want it? And that's, you know, granted, that's just a snapshot, but that's all people are getting are these two and three day snapshots of and the negatives because they don't want to be in the car in the first place stand out a lot more than the positives. Maybe Hertz is being encouraged to downsize their EV. Maybe their executives are actually being intelligent about this. I just hate the way the press is slamming EVs in this and that Hertz is getting rid of them because gasoline cars are better. That's what all these headlines combine to say when there are a lot more factors. I say quite often on this show, my brother's in television news. He writes, he's the internet director for the station he's at. He writes internet stories. He writes news stories. You know, he writes. And he's explained to me exactly how you write a news article. Catchy headline or catchy teaser. What you want to say in the first one or two paragraphs, and you don't put any substance to the article until paragraph four or five. And because nobody ever reads paragraph four or five. And in this world of all internet news, you read paragraphs one, two, and maybe half a three, and then you got to click read more. And I believe his research shows that 93% or so people never click read more. So nobody's informed. And that's exactly what I wanted to do with this when Derek brought up the topic. And I know it's been a little bit boring, but it's kind of being no driving gloves and a little bit educational. And taking on the press in this case, that's the whole idea. I've, we've been really emphasizing it. No driving gloves, the gloves off approach to the automotive hobby. And part of it is when I see stuff in the news that's wrong, I want to call them out. And here I am, and I'm calling out every press organization that I looked up, except the Motor Trend. Motor Trend really, they even headlined their article correctly. And it made me want to read it. And that's why I read Motor Trends over maybe car and drivers and everybody else who's all the same company anymore. But that's our gloves off take on Hertz getting rid of, rid of EVs. I could get a lot deeper into this and really, really, really bore you. But take a minute, read past that third paragraph on this stuff and learn what the problem is. And I'm defending EVs here. It's not the EV. It's the infrastructure around the EV, which, as we've said in multiple episodes, is the problem with the EV at this point in time. Yeah, and I think, well, I want to... I'm going to end my conversation there. 
<laughs> but I think it's also goes to show again, as John says, and as, as we always say on no driving gloves, the glove is off approach. We're not necessarily your normal car people, right? Because the majority of car people out there in the world right now are saying, uh, EVs are terrible. Get rid of them. Blah, 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 blah. And on this show, we talk about the good and the bad. We're not going to sit here and just blast EVs and they're the worst thing ever and da, 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 as some of the other car podcasts tend to do. But we want to bring out evidence. We want to tell the story, give historical perspective and modern perspective. And, you know, I don't want to speak for John, but speaking for myself, you know, this is this is part of evolution of technology. This is this is just all part of heading in the next direction with where everything is going and good, bad, or indifferent. We just got to figure it out and, and keep going and learn from everything we can learn from the past, learn from the present, just develop over time. Again, not speaking for John, but I don't think either of us are going to sit here and say, Oh, EVs are the worst thing in the world. We shouldn't go to them. We want to have the discussion. We want to see what's happening. We want to understand what the future can hold and go from there. That's that's my take on it, John. You spoke for me, and I kind of uh, am good with that because you said what really I think. We've talked about it in previous episodes. EVs may or may not be the answer. I did look up. Enterprise did, and I don't know if they still are, but they did partner with Toyota to rent hydrogen powered vehicles just as an experiment these these rental car companies are trying and they're seeing you know they can gauge consum- consumer interest but we'll see where this goes i mean we're just two guys sitting here on a podcast giving you our opinions hopefully educated opinions i don't want to borrow you anymore we're approaching a I think we're approaching boredom as opposed to excitement. So now the podcast is getting too long. Anything you want to wrap up with, Derek, or we're going to get out of here, I think, for the day? I think I'm good, John. I think it's wrapped up, and uh, we're excited to just see where the future goes. Sounds good. I will, uh, I don't know, I guess tell you to get off your ass burn some gas because John is out this show was a part of the no driving gloves network produced and edited by John Viviani of Magic City Podcast with voice work by Gary Conger so until the next take